Hi, this is Jim Labano, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Dave Kerlin, best-selling author, radio host, and founder and CEO of Objective Management Group, the industry leader in sales assessments and Salesforce evaluation. Dave is also the founder and CEO of Kerlin & Associates, a global Salesforce development firm. Dave is frequently asked to share his insights on selection and the development of salespeople in business publications, as well as being a speaker at industry conferences. You can read more about his insights in his blog, Understanding the Salesforce, voted top sales and marketing blog for three consecutive years. He is the author of books like Mindless Selling and the best-selling book, Baseline Selling, How to Become a Sales Superstar by Using What You Already Know About the Game of Baseball. Dave joins us today to talk about the assessment he pioneered and how it has assisted managers in selecting better sales candidates. Dave, welcome back to BizTalk. Thanks, Jim. It's great to be back. Thanks for remembering me and inviting me to join you again. <laughs> well, it's been a while. We last talked uh, in and around the recession was going on, and it dawned on me that maybe a few things has changed since then. Uh, you have your you pulse. Think? Well, a little bit. <laughs> Back then, it was hard to get positive about anything. Right. And that, was, that was the end of 2008 and all of 2009, and the business climate just sucked everywhere oh. and with everybody. You know, I think our topic was how to survive. <laughs> that was a great topic for the times. We did. We did survive, and most people survived. Right. And I was thinking that you have your pulse on... Let me really, check. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm breathing. I'm good. <laughs> Would you have your pulse on what companies are, how they're selecting salespeople, the quality of the candidates, the skill sets you see? Because you have all the data from your assessment. So I was kind of curious. I thought we'd start out today. We're, we're now obviously post-recession. We're obviously in some type of recovery. i just kind of curious. Can you say, can you say slow? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we left the station, but it didn't leave too quickly. Still waving at the people that were saying goodbye to us. <laughs> right. <laughs> so share with our audience the impact that recession had as it related to our sales force, the selecting of them and what we need today to look for in a sales candidate. What a great and highly complex question that is. Because I guess if we start with the complex part, what we need in the sales force has changed so dramatically since 2008 because prior to 2008 it was the good times right i mean companies were spending money people were spending money salespeople were taking orders and that was the problem salespeople were just getting business that they only had to show up and they were getting business and what they learned during the recession and what we learned right after the recession is that once the belts tightened up and once the available money went away and once people were reluctant to spend freely and were being 
far more thorough about what they were going to buy and the impact it would have. The salespeople who had never experienced adversity and had never experienced rejection and had never experienced hearing no or we're going to wait weren't able to recover from that. So just by virtue of the fact that it got tougher and tougher to do business, it required a much stronger, more savvy, more capable salesperson than the one that was walking planet Earth prior to the recession. So that's one part. Now, the second part of your question is what's changed in terms of our data. The sad thing is that very little has changed. So I'm constantly mining the data and looking at trends in the data. And there are exactly two data points out of hundreds that have changed from before the 2008 economic disaster and after the recovery began. One of them is in the area of what we traditionally thought of as a money-motivated salesperson. You know, that's what everybody wanted, a money-motivated salesperson. We don't even call it that anymore. Now, based on the work that Dan Pink did, we've adopted his use of extrinsically and intrinsically motivated salespeople, where the extrinsically motivated salesperson is motivated by money and things and stuff and toys, and the intrinsically motivated salesperson is motivated to change the world, and they're motivated by satisfaction and love of what they're doing and mastery of their craft and praise and recognition, two totally different kinds of motivation. So before the economic recession or crisis, 54% of the sales population was money motivated or what we would call today extrinsically motivated. And today that has been reduced by half. It's only 27%. So that's one major change. The only other change, significant change to the data is on the sales management side. And that is that sales managers have become better in the wrong thing. It's not bad that they're better at this, but they've become better at holding people accountable. Unfortunately, it would be much to everybody's advantage if they had become better at coaching salespeople since that's 50% of their job, but we haven't seen any improvement in that. I guess there's one more piece that's significant, and that is that today, more than ever, salespeople have to be able to do two things, and that is they've got to be able to sell value, and they must be able to differentiate by selling consultatively. And selling value comes from being able to sell consultatively as well. So you know, if you ask 100 salespeople, you get 100 different definitions of what consultative selling is. You know, some would say it's being a consultant. Some would say it's asking some questions before you propose and present. Some would say it's understanding needs. Some would say it's doing a needs analysis. But it's really about having a conversation based on listening and asking questions. And it would be an extended conversation to get to understand a prospect's true compelling reasons for needing to do something and for taking action, for moving their business from company A to company B, or for spending money the very first time. So that's the, the most important competency today for a salesperson to succeed consistently. So the bad news is that back in 2008, before the recession hit, a salesperson had, on average, 21 or 22% of the attributes 
of a consultative seller. They suck at selling consultatively. Today, on the eve of 2015, so six, seven years later, that average has gone up from 22% to 22%. A big trend lined up. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> There's been no change. Despite all the blogs being written by sales experts, despite all the videos being created by sales experts, despite... The, the huge increase in the number of sales consultants and sales trainers, despite the glut of books, there's been no change in salespeople's competency at selling consultatively. Must be a reason. <laughs> there must. <laughs> Part of it is that most of the experts don't really even get what consultative selling really is and what it really requires and how it really works and even more so how to demonstrate it and role play it and get other people to be able to replicate it. Well, and to your point that sales managers, well, a big part of their job is sales coaching, yet that competency is not increasing there either. So even if you don't go to outside experts, your inside managers are probably not helping you out. And, of course, most inside managers don't think they need outside experts, think they can do it themselves. And a lot of the sales managers don't have the selling skills themselves, never mind the coaching skills, to pass it on. I'm just kind of curious, Dave. So given that reality... Why haven't we given up? Well, so what advice are you giving people then? I mean, if that's the reality and you have the data points to back that up, what are you telling people to do then? I'm telling people they need to spend 8 to 12 months learning how to sell consultatively, training their sales forces to sell consultatively, that we need to spend four to six months training and coaching the sales managers on how to coach to this competency. That's not what people want to hear, though, not necessarily what people want to do, not necessarily what people want to spend their money on. But even if I'm the voice of one, that's what it takes. I know that's what it takes. And while everybody else wants to scream about social selling and LinkedIn and Twitter and getting found, we know that the leads are up by about a thousand percent. We also know that the quality of those leads sucks. Maybe one in 10 leads are decent. And once they've done their social selling and their LinkedIn and their Twitter and they've been found and they've found a decent opportunity out of all those leads, they're losing sight of the fact they still have to sell. You know, it's like cars. There's no comparison to the car I drive today. I drive a Lexus GX460. It's their midsize SUV, and it's filled with technology. Wouldn't recognize the car I was driving in 1972 when I learned to drive. But guess what? Driving is still driving, and selling is still selling. And people are losing sight of the fact that once you've got an opportunity, selling is still selling. And the selling part has to be done. You don't get to skip it because of the technology and because people educated themselves on the Internet. They still have to be convinced to do business with you. And they still have to be convinced to solve their problem the right way. And you still have to convince them that you're a better choice than somebody else. And you have to be the value. You know, if 70 is the new 50, well, being the value is the new value proposition. You're exactly right. Once today, I am so glad you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that I'm not going to hear that again. Today. Yeah, well, it's peak today. That's your affirmation for the day. <laughs> 
that. Thank you. But the sales experts we've had on BizTalk have fallen into two camps. Technology has changed everything, and you need to be up on the social side, like you said. That's one camp. The other camp is what you've exactly talked about is, hey, people, this whole conversation has changed. Yep. Right? So to me, it's evident because that's the voices that I'm hearing. That's the voices we share in BizTalk. Surely, if that's going on, wouldn't the candidate pool at least pick up some point on this 22% competency in the consultative side? Around the time I wrote Baseline Selling. Yes. Remember that book? How oh, God, still read it today. Superstar by using what you already know about the game of baseball. Yeah. That was 2004, 2005. At that time, our data set, and we had probably only assessed 150,000 salespeople at that point, whereas today it's 750,000. But this number hasn't changed, and that was that the number of elite salespeople is no more than 6%, and the good salespeople another 20% on top of that. Mm -hmm. And then the other 74% suck. That hasn't changed. So we're not picking that up in sales candidates. They're not aware of how selling has changed. We know from the sales organizations that we evaluate that it's not changing. We know from the sales candidates we assess it's not changing. And we know from the sales people that we train that it's not changing. They are seeing these principles demonstrated for the first time. It's sad. I hate to bring up the Ebola example, but it's a lot like the medical practitioners in the United States and their complete lack of preparation for being able to deal with anybody who presents the symptoms. Salespeople are that unprepared to sell the way they need to sell. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. In addition to Dave Curlin sharing his expertise on selecting top-performing salespeople, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available in podcast on our website and cover business topics such as recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and, of course, personal development. You can download these podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. Our guest is Dave Kernlin. We're talking about selecting top-performing salespeople. David, our conversation is centered around the competency salespeople need today, you know, given the effects of the recession, what they need to have in order to be effective at selling, and at the same time, what if the economy keeps improving from here? And we find out that the orders just start rolling in, and people aren't really out there selling as much as they're doing order taking. What's the impact to a sales force if that happens? Pretend you're right and companies start spending money wildly. But there is a difference between 2015 companies spending wildly and 2007 companies spending wildly, and that is competition. The competition is global now. It's national. There's nothing where there's local competition anymore. So there aren't going to be scenarios where we're the only player in town, we're the only game in town, so we're going to get that business. So salespeople still have to differentiate, and they'll still have to compete, and they'll still need to do it without giving away the farm and dropping their drawers. So even under a scenario where we start booming again, just the very nature of what competition is today is going to require salespeople to be a lot sharper and a lot more effective if they're going to get the business that's being dished out. So the one piece of advice? In my opinion. 
Well, you're exactly right. As you were talking about, I was thinking to throw the clients that I work with on a local, regional basis, and I always said that I don't want to get in a business that Amazon can compete with me. So the one piece of advice you're given a company president who may be listening to our program would be what? The definition of insanity sure applies today. If you're doing what you've been doing and it isn't working, continuing to do it isn't going to change the result. Something has to change. And you can look to sales selection, the people that you're bringing on board. You can look to onboarding and whether it's effective enough. You can look at your messaging and whether that's in alignment and getting the right message across. You can look to your internal training. You can look to sales management and whether coaching is effective enough and having the right impact. You can look to selling competencies, skills, strategies, sales process, sales methodology. And you can look to sales DNA, the strengths that need to be present in a salesperson that'll support the use of process methodology, strategies, tactics, skills, and everything else, technology that's required to be effective today. So if it hasn't changed in the last five years, then you're behind the eight ball and you're at risk. One piece of advice you're giving a salesperson today. (sighs) Go back to school not college school, go back to selling school and learn what it takes to succeed in the new world of selling. Selling is still selling, but there's a certain kind of conversation that will work better than an old kind of conversation. And you need to learn what that is, how to do it, and how to do it better than anybody else. One of the things some of the guests have talked about is that the buyer is farther down the sales cycle than when the salesperson engages with them. So we have salespeople who want to start at first base, but the buyer may be already at second base. A, are you experiencing that? And if so, what advice are you giving people on how to handle that? What we're really talking about now is what some people are calling the buyer journey. And the statistics, which I think are completely freaking made up, The statistics about the buyer journey are that prospects are 57% of the way to the end. But I think those statistics are made up by the companies selling products and tools and analytics that would embrace that buyer journey way of selling. So, yeah, they're further along than they ever were before because they've already done some research. They've been on the Internet. They know who can provide products and services. They know what the things cost. They know which ones they want. And now they're looking at choices, whereas in the old days, the salespeople would do all that stuff. And that's, that's what I talked about earlier in your show when I was talking about today a salesperson has to be the value instead of adding some artificial value. So, yeah, they're further along. But we can't, as a sales profession, take the bait and just jump into a capabilities pitch. Here's what we can do and here's how we're different. And then go and do a proposal, a presentation, or a demo, and then hope to close the business. Because that doesn't differentiate us from the other five companies that did the exact same thing and also attempted to get the business with the lowest possible prices. So we need to have a conversation. It's a different conversation. It's what we talked about when we were talking about consultative selling and the kind of skills and attributes that make a consultative seller effective. We need to have that conversation right then instead of jumping into capabilities and demos and presentations and proposals so that they can see we're different, so they can see we're valuable to them. 
so they can decide in their head that they want to do business with us and so that we can influence their choices and question whether this is really the right product or service or choice because now that we understand the issue that they're trying to address, the problem they're trying to solve, the opportunity they're trying to leverage, now that we understand that better and the impact it has on their business, maybe they should be looking at doing it this way instead of the way they decided on their own in a vacuum. And then we're completely different from everybody else. Good point. Yeah, there's a buyer journey, but it doesn't change the fact that we still have to sell. (laughs) (laughs) You keep coming back to that. (laughs) Isn't it funny? (laughs) Okay. I'm a one-trick pony, what can I say? (laughs) There isn't a question you can ask me that I answer with anything else other than you still got to go back to sell. Uh, You still got to connect with people. Hey, can you imagine what this interview would have been like if we had some fun? Yeah. (laughs) Let's go back and talk just a quick second about consultatively selling. Easy for you to say. Yeah. (laughs) I just can't spell it. Okay. So touch on it again. What are the competencies or the skills or whatever you want to call it that would make up a good consultative salesperson? What must they be able to execute on? Four primary things. They need to be able to stay in the moment. They can't get ahead of themselves. They need to be patient, take baby steps. They need to have exceptional listening skills, and they need to have great questioning skills, all so that they can have the kind of conversation, consultative conversation, that leads them to differentiate themselves so that at the end of that conversation, a prospect will say, wow, Jim gets it. Jim gets us. He's done this before. He can be a big asset to us. We need to go with Jim. So what kind of conversation do you, your salespeople, your team need to begin having with prospects so that they say that about you and your salespeople? Susan Scott, who wrote the book Fierce Conversations, said that the conversation is the relationship. So what you're talking about, David, is what level of conversation are you having? It has to be a conversation they've never had before with anybody. The people who work for them, your competitors, their leadership team, got to ask questions that they've never had to ask, get them to answer in a way they've never answered before. Question their answers, push back, challenge their thinking, and find out why any of that matters. My impression when I talk to a great number of salespeople, it seems so difficult for them to ask those tough questions. I can teach you the questions, right? But if you're not going to ask them, it's like not teaching you the questions. Exactly. So, A, why do you think it's so difficult for them to ask that tough question? And B, if I'm selecting a salesperson, how would I screen for that? Okay, it's hard for salespeople to apply that questioning, even embrace that questioning if they have the need to be liked, need for approval. Because if they're out there just trying to get people to like them and make friends, then the thought of pushing back and challenging and asking all these questions and having a difficult conversation is horrifying to them. Horrifying. They can't do it because they'll be afraid that the prospect won't like them anymore. That's the biggest problem. There are some other weaknesses that would further support that, like difficulty recovering from rejection 
and being too trusting, taking their prospects at face value, which would prevent them from being able to push back anyhow. So those very things make it difficult. That makes it uncomfortable and scary, and it'll stop them cold from doing that. So what do they do instead? They do what they're comfortable doing. They present, and they don't differentiate, and they don't have anything else to use for leverage except their price. And that's why they continue to go to price to try to get business, which is why margins have eroded so badly. And what you can do to screen for that when it's sales selection time and sales recruiting time is you can use a good sales-specific, scientific assessment instrument that is accurate and predictive, customizable, that will tell you whether or not the candidate that completed the assessment will succeed in your particular sales role at your particular company, selling into your particular market with the decision makers they need to reach against the competition that you have and the price point you're at and the money you need to ask for and the length of the sales cycle you have and the challenges that are embedded in your sales cycle. Our assessment. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> does one of those come to mind? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for joining in on the conversation. This is BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lovato. We're talking to Dave Kerlin about the selection of top performing salespeople, how to do that, and how to do it effectively, and what to look for. Before we took our break, David was talking about the competencies needed for a salesperson to be consultative today, what skills and competencies must they possess? David, it's easy for me to get excited about using assessments because I was exposed to them earlier on in my sales career, and I saw how they were effective in helping me develop my selling skills, what I needed to work on, as well as what I was good at. And over the years, I've used those assessments to help me select salespeople. So it's easy for me to jump on a bandwagon and use an assessment. But for our audience out there who may not use an assessment or maybe use one of the myriad of assessments that are out there, what is different about the objective management group assessment as relates to selecting salespeople? A few things. One, it's not a personality assessment. So... A personality assessment's nice and warm and fuzzy because it tells you what you are like. It's not a behavioral styles assessment, similar to personality, but also has a component of the environment you're going to work best in and how to manage you and your tendencies. It is sales-specific. It's about selling capability and selling competencies and sales DNA, and it takes all of that stuff and marries it up to the particular requirements for success in a particular role. And we end up with a scientifically backed, predictive, accurate instrument that will expertly guide a hiring manager as to whether or not they should even spend any time interviewing this candidate, never mind hiring them. Just to give you one statistic, you know, clients are sometimes smarter than we are and ignore the science. Mm -hmm. They fall in love with the candidate. So even though a candidate may not be recommended, they're really likable and they come from the industry. So the client thinks, ah, those OMG people don't know what they're talking about. We love this candidate. We're going to hire them anyhow. So when they go and hire one of those candidates they love but we didn't recommend, 75% of those candidates fail in the first six months. Wow. It's pretty strong science. Biggest misperception about selecting salespeople today is what? 
I guess the misperception is that the sales managers and HR people who do the selection think that what they need is a likable, friendly, energetic, well-dressed, well-spoken, motivated individual. You know, they have a movie star in their mind. (laughs) That's the problem. They're looking for movie stars. So anytime they see somebody that looks like a movie star, they go, that person's going to be awesome. And there's no science behind that. That's the myth. Dave, the biggest challenges you see facing businesses in the near future is what? Ebola and ISIS. Either one of those things could shut the economy down overnight. Yeah, we think of economic crises as always tends to affect the economy. There's other things that could affect it. Uh, you're absolutely well, right. Like what 9-11 did in yes. 2001. Yeah. That brought things to a screeching halt for about half a year. Yeah. And people forget it was a screeching halt. Especially if you're in the greater metropolitan New York area where it wasn't that things got tough. I mean, (laughs) businesses were obliterated. They went away. They were evaporated and the people with them. So, yeah, any one of these things is scary enough to force the economy to a grinding halt and then we have to rethink everything. Looking forward, what's the biggest thing that you're optimistic about now as it relates to the selling profession in the sales world? That there are enough people on the soapbox preaching what needs to change and how it needs to change and making it all-inclusive. And it's not just for big companies anymore, but I'm hopefully optimistic that having a sales consultant or a sales expert in every company circle of advisors will be as commonplace as having an accounting firm and a law firm and a commercial insurance representative and a wealth advisor and a board of directors. So is there one question today I should have asked you that I haven't? Yeah. Are we done yet? <laughs> is that it? Is that all you have to share? Yeah. <laughs> Is that enough? No, that's enough. No, thank you for the insights. I figured you had the pulse of what's going on. I'm sure our audience appreciates you sharing that with them. Well, I appreciate that you invited me on the show. You asked the best questions of anybody that's interviewed me in the last week. (laughs) Great. (laughs) No, seriously. You asked great questions. You did your part. You did your research. You knew what the questions ought to be, and you pushed on it. And as the interviewee, I really appreciate that you asked the right questions. So if people want to learn more or find out more about Objective Manager Group, where should they go? They can go to the OMG website, which is ObjectiveManagement.com. They can go to my blog, which is OMGHub.com. Or they can email me. I'll give you the easy email address so they don't have to spell my name. It's just Dave at ObjectiveManagement.com. Great. Dave, thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.